Hello, good people, and welcome back to Love and Grit. I'm Laia. I'm Justin. And I'm Rachel. And man, do we have some dope stories that will inspire today. Listen, we have two of the hottest new chefs in Rittenhouse, and they are two brothers under 30. Brothers, not brothers. Also, on the show today, Chester PA's proudest Zakia Blaine is celebrating 10 years of her movement turned empire that has us all screaming, F being fat. Told y'all it's gonna be a good one. But first, around the Philly faves, and Justin, what are we doing today, sir? Your favorite Asian-owned restaurant. Ooh, I'm going. Okay, right? I know, we know, we know. Yeah, you going, yes, you going. I was gonna say I'm going with. Oh, <laughs> not that I was going first. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be a jerk face jerk. Jeez. <laughs> I'm going with <laughs> a true restaurant tour, Philly noon. <laughs> Ellen Yen and a kitchen. It's cozy. I like the ambiance. I like where it's located. And I have a lot of um, nice memories there with friends and a few coworkers. So that's what I'll go with. You guys, you're going to say this is an easy answer, but it's not because we just, it needs to be said that one needs to explore Chinatown more often. And so I'm going to mm-hmm. say this. There are 22 spots in Chinatown. I know I've only been to probably like six and the majority of them on holidays because like that's the best part of Chinatown. No matter the holiday, I can get me something to eat. Um, <laughs> but I would invite everybody to just take some time and close your eyes, spin around and pick a place. You can't go wrong. And go to visitphilly.com to see a full listing. Yes. What you got, Justin? I'm doing Kalaya. We've had Chef Knock on. Yes. And the editor of the Inquirer food section and I were talking about just how amazing she is and how lucky Philadelphia is to have her. And she said, Mm. Knock is cooking the best Thai food in the world right now. Whoa. And she was on Love and Grit. (laughs) Yep. And can we talk about the clothes? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. She's a snazzy dresser, too. I love love any She's an amazing personality. Like, what is she going to wear? Going through a restaurant, she's there. What is she wearing? What are the shoes? Here for all of it. Mm -hmm. Let's get started. The Rittenhouse area has been known for its good and fine dining. So the opening of a new restaurant is not unheard of. But check out this love and grit twist. This new restaurant bar and creative space called Restaurant Alexander boasts one of the city's youngest and most talented black head chefs and executive sous chef, Chef Montana Houston and Chef Jamir Wimberly Cole. And they are cousins. I know, that's so Philly. But wait, between the two of them, their resumes shine with mention of working at some of the most prestigious restaurants in the world and Michelin star experience. And now they are putting their own spin on an American menu with Eastern European influences, which pays a nod to the culture and cuisine of the owner's family. How did you guys first start working together? Very curious. We started working together at, we were consulting for this restaurant called Reef. Shut up. Like Reef we on South Reef. Street? Yes. Yeah, that's kind of like where we started off on our relationship. How long have you guys been in the business? I've been in the culinary field ever since high school. So my freshman year of high school, working in restaurants in New Jersey. So that's about 12 years under my belt already. And the mine's 16 years. I started already freshman year too, but I'm uh, four years older than him. So yeah. So tell us about Alexander. It's a different kind of food with an American twist. How did you guys get there and and how do you describe it? So it's Eastern European. On a scale of one to 10, I would say like a two or three on an Eastern European scale. And it's a lot of like new American influences. 
So in the process, after we kind of left Reef, I always told him, if I go anywhere, become a head chef anywhere, I'll be definitely the person I'm going to bring along with me if I have the opportunity to. So we went to another place, another restaurant prior to that. It didn't work out the way we wanted it to as far as, you know, a lot of like minor implications. My faith is strong. So I told him that we was going to find something and that God was going to bless us with another opportunity. And, uh, and then this door opened up here at Restaurant Alexander and I did a tasting for them and I just blew them away. I did like a six course dinner for them. So that's like an audition in chef world when you say I did a tasting for them. So basically like a tasting is something you would do to showcase yourself, showcase your talent, showcase what. Um, but you don't have the job yet. So they come. Like, tell us the process. I'm, I mean, a lot of people are curious because we're watching Bear. We're in it now. Chef. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what happens is you seek out a restaurant, obviously. So your resume kind of fits what they're looking for. That's enough for them to head, reach out to you. Say, hey, you know, I want you to come in, talk first. And then if that goes good, then they want to do a tasting with you, which is basically just showcasing everything that you feel as though you can bring to the table to this restaurant. Based on that tasting, they decide whether or not they feel as though you're a good fit for the restaurant. So what'd you make? What'd you make? I made a first course, a beet salad with uh, with goat cheese, some crostinis, some pickled radishes, and a honey ash. And then I did a second course scallop, with some scallops and mash, uh, pan sauce, brown butter, Brussels sprouts. Mm. Then I did a pork chop, pork shank dish with uh, Eastern European barbecue sauce, polenta. Mm-hmm. I don't even really remember. Honestly. It's okay. We I just, so I just, I hope everybody's eyes were closed as they were listening like I was. We were, we were listening to all of your reactions to the descriptions, Laia. <laughs> uh, so uh, that, that's what we were kind of focused on. Uh, but chef, okay. that, that's obviously a compliment. <laughs> Where did right. you learn to cook Eastern European? Where did that come from? Yeah. I learned how to cook French cuisine. So that's really like going to school for um, at Walnut Hill College. Right. Um, yes. I got to uh, learn a little bit of French cuisine and after that brought it to what we do here. Other than that, I also work in a per se for Thomas Keller's restaurant in New York City. I mean, that's three Michelin star. He does like basically all French cuisine with an Amasaki tasting menu. So it was really a idea to like, oh, we know what we're doing. And also um, he worked at Daniel Ballou, he's a French chef. I got to pause y'all because people don't know this part because Chef Jamir is from Camden. Chef Montana, you're from where? Well, I grew up in Canada a little bit, but I was actually born in Voorhees. Okay, whatever, whatever. I'm trying to <laughs> explain to the people that they came right across the bridge to excellence. So I, I need y'all to kind of explain too how you got into the food business based on where you came from, from Camden, from Voorhees. Like what was your first introduction into the business? For me, my dad, you know, he was that guy that you, every barbecue, he was the guy on the grill or, you know, every family event he's cooking or somebody asking him to cook. So that was really it for me. I've always been in the culinary with him. He actually planned on opening in a restaurant. My first year in college, he actually ended up passing away. So in that process, I took it really hard. I actually ended up dropping out of school. I came back home. I dug really deep into culinary. I guess like the really close relationship that I have that really steered me into culinary because the closest thing that I had, it brought back a lot of like childhood memories. And for me, it's uh, my grandfather. My grandfather used to be a chef in the army. Growing up and standing by his side through Thanksgiving, making the turkey, going step by step, I'm making mac and cheese. It really brought this seasonality of learning how to cook. He cooked in the army. He cooked around different countries. Different right. countries. So like Germany, he went to Germany. He went to Japan. Like coming from like over there and then coming back to the States, teaching me some of those techniques were actually cool. And then going on to Bowtech school to learn a little bit more about my craft 
and push and got a strong Caribbean background and, tr- and strong Caribbean background and Puerto Rican and Puerto Rican. Dang, mix up two cultures in both in the house. So what else can I do? It's really accommodated to stay on the path of being passionate and learn how to cook. Chef Montana, so what has the response been? It was very interesting in the beginning of our conversation. You said you let restaurant owners know that I have someone that I want to be a part of my team from the gate. What was that response coming in, saying that to someone and making it clear that this is the deal? Well, yes, that was my original attention. But just because, you know, the owner, Alex, he had a lot of things that had to be set in stone by a certain date. They actually already had a couple of people that... Um, Which is typical. Exactly. Right. They, he already kind of has some people. But like I said, you know, I stay heavy on my faith. And throughout the time, you know, they both ended up leaving, creating space for my cousin to be able to, 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 to join in that spot. And literally, like, within a matter of, what, a week, opened the door right for him. Mm. So just worked out. I didn't even know y'all were cousins. The crazy thing about it is that we didn't find out we were cousins until we got here. So a neutral family friend and uh, they really was like, yo, you guys are cousins. He was like, what? Cousins? We, I was around him a lot when we were like really, really, really toddlers. We have a huge family. So I guess like over the years, yeah, we didn't know. But we've been so close for so long. And then when it happened, it was like, Boom. I see, I see exactly why. <laughs> because you already shared that that's type a, of bond. That's amazing. That's the craziest thing I've heard today. I know, and it's making me cry, and I don't know why, because this just, y'all was meant to be. Right. That's so I have I, to I, ask I you, like, as you enter this field, it, it's not a very diverse field. So it's great no. to see two Black chefs at the top of a new restaurant in Rittenhouse Square. What's it like to be a Black chef when there aren't many around? It's a huge blessing. I don't really know how to really say that, like express those words, except besides I'm just so truly grateful that despite my past, despite being black, despite, you know, those roadblocks might have been set for us. I found favor in God's eyes that he allowed me to be able to take this opportunity and work at a restaurant like this in middle of Rittenhouse Square, when it's predominantly, you know, a Caucasian area with such high standard as well. And for us to be like 26 and 22, like, Ooh, you said the numbers. I'm so God, happy dang. you told us because we wow. were curious and we're not going to ask because then you might ask our ages. That's <laughs> special right there. Like he was trying to hint to it when she was like, you know, we I, really can't guess your ages. The oldest is Chef Montana, correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also, I just want to add to what y'all are saying that despite, take that out because of, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know it feels like roadblocks, but being black, being young, being that dope are blessings from where you come from. No, having right. that foundation. You wouldn't be none of those places. I definitely look. First of all, I'm always gonna stand up for my black culture, regardless. You um, that's, that's first. <laughs> that's first and foremost. And that's the thing too. Believe it or not, working in this industry of culinary, when you get to a certain standard of cooking, you start getting the places that are obtaining these awards, obtaining these Michelin stars. It's not a big black following in that area. It's not a lot of opportunity exposed for us. And if it is, we got to go through so much more hoops in order to obtain a position or be looked at as equal. It really is tough. Like, you know, we come from restaurants that we're the only person of color in that whole restaurant. As I've learned, on especially on this journey of Love and Grit, y'all, we out there. We also want to try to really inspire not only chefs, but inspire just the young, especially young kids yeah. in Philadelphia, the young adolescent black culture kids who can look at different routes of life and, and think that they can still make it. They can obtain Thank these goals. You. Like us being the age that we are, the color of our skin. And um, the place that we're, we're at. The right place now. that we're at. And the food that you're serving. These are reachable exactly. goals. Most children strive to be like, you know, NBA stars or baseball or football. And it's like, no, you can still make a big impact in your own community, your own city, your own neighborhood, and still reach and obtain these goals of excellence. Before you go, we like to ask our guests, what does love and grit mean to you? I believe that 
it means like you honing down, honing down on the roots and holding down things that you experience and actually get to tell your story with a little passion, a little love. As you said, love and grit. This love that you share to the world. Chef Montana. That's good. Like, I'll uh, take his. I go with right, you. Right, right. He, he didn't embarrass me. He didn't embarrass me. <laughs> um, when I think about love and grit, that brings me back to my childhood because when I was a little child, I was always sneaking in the kitchen, grabbing toast off the table with my grandma and making grits for the family in a big pot. A lot of stories are being told, you know, photos being exchanged. So for me, Love and Grit, that's like a meeting ground for me. Love and Grit is like a meeting ground where we all can come on one platform and whether it be a kitchen table, whether it be a podcast, whether it be a TV show, whatever it may be, sharing love and experiences and culture backgrounds through food. Zakia Blaine is many things, but I think most who know her will put the word unafraid at the top of the list. She was unafraid as a teacher in Philadelphia school district and when her life was remixed by a rare brain disorder, she seemed unafraid to create a new chapter in life using diet and fitness, which catapulted a movement known as FBF. Yep, F being fat. However, when Zakia went on IG to share this new waist shaper she purchased that seemed to turn anybody into a stallion, well, that's when things really changed. That's when a movement became a business and her business was to get big girls in all the flyest fitness fashion and we are all here for it. Tell us how it started because it did become a movement. What was the kernel or how did you put it all together? So basically FBS started out of me being diagnosed. If I stutter, sorry, I have a brain disorder. So <laughs> sometimes the words don't come out how they're supposed to. So just want to give you that really quickly. I was diagnosed with Chiari malformation 12 years ago. And with that, I was placed on a bunch of different medications. Now, Chiari is a hereditary disease, but most people don't find out that they have it until they're like in their 30s, late 20s. They start to have side effects of the brain disorder. And so for me, it started off with super severe headaches, migraines, vertigo. I would get dizzy when I was driving and things like that, which then prompted me to go see my doctor. My doctor kind of dismissed me, pushed me off. And so I ended up having to change doctors, which is another part of my story that I'm a huge advocate for advocating for yourself when it comes to medical care. And um, especially for black women. Yeah, like yeah. that Absolutely. happens so often, Absolutely. whether it's being pregnant or whatever, that mm -hmm. we're oftentimes dismissed. So sorry. Go it, ahead. It, absolutely. And this is from someone who has medical insurance. So having medical insurance and your doctor's not really listening to you and like not performing the test that they're supposed to, they were giving me every test but an MRI. And I'm like, no, something is wrong with my brain. Like something's wrong in my head. And, you know, the first thing you start to think about is like aneurysms and things like that. Like I'm like, something's wrong with my head. Ended up switching doctors, got an MRI, come to find out I had Chiari malformation. And what Chiari is means that your brainstem dips too far into your spinal cord. Mm -hmm. And so think of like your brain being too big for your skull. <sighs> and so it literally like comes out of the bottom of your skull and dips into your spinal cord. Sounds painful. For many people, it can be. So there's Chiari 1 and Chiari 2. Chiari 1 is the least. You know, some people have to have decompression surgery where they have to basically have space made in their brains. They get brain surgery to allow space because mm -hmm. what it can cause, again, is headaches. It causes the fluid to build up because that fluid can't properly flow into your spinal cord like it's supposed to. So think of like something like stopping up your spinal cord. So mm -hmm. that's what Chiari is. And so then there are a plethora of 
side effects that go along with that because it is a neurological disorder because it flows into your spinal cord, which is the catalyst for all your nerves and everything like that. So they put me onto medication. The medication made me stutter. It made me lose my memory. And so I really looked at diet and exercise as a way to basically get off my meds. That was how FBF kind of started. And then my grandma told me I was fat too. So that was another thing. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, sometimes the grandmoms, aunties, that's when it's just like, oh, you, you in love, huh? You yeah. in love. Yeah, yeah. That's, it was, it was a subtle way, right? And I mm-hmm. thought I was in trouble because, you know, my grandmother at the time, she's a little 85-year-old woman. We're from the South. So we were home in South Carolina. And she was like, baby, you know, I want to talk to you. So I thought I was in trouble. Like, you know, mm. grandma calling you in the room, you think you're in trouble. So I'm like, dad, what I do? I do nothing wrong so she called me in the bathroom and she said baby she said you're getting too big Ooh. and it's not cute and I was oh, like, <laughs> I've had that talk I've had that talk shout out to my mother and mm-hmm. I was like okay I'm not in trouble but okay but how did you then enter the fashion realm because were you a teacher before what yes. was okay yes so I taught middle school k through eight my concentration was in math and English sixth through seventh grade in Philadelphia school district I taught wow. in the district for over a decade I retired at 34. I was diagnosed at 30. Um, So yeah, I was on disability back and forth in and out because I was really just learning how to manage my symptoms and all the side effects that came along with it. Mm -hmm. And so the district was like, look, either you have to come back to the classroom or you have to retire. At the time I had just started, FBF had started in 2012. So we were moving But it wasn't enough for me to say, like, I'm going to just give up this check and these benefits to be like, let me go and do this business full time. (laughs) But the time she said, this going to work, this going to happen work is what she said. The true story of exactly what happened. So I was out on disability. I had went down to the district headquarters. I had my meeting about retirement, but I still wasn't there yet. I was just like, you know, I, I need to go back to school. I need these benefits. I'm always sick. I'm always at the doctor. I can't go without any benefits. Absolutely. So I sucked it up. I went back to school. It was March 14th. I remember the day exactly. I was upstairs with my coworker and my principal called me. He was like, Miss Blaine, I want you to report to a third grade class this year. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm retiring. I, that's exactly what happened. Like, I don't do under fifth grade. And so he was like, you're going to have a third grade class this year. And it was literally at that moment, I said, I'm coming downstairs to sign my retirement paperwork. I went and bought two bottles of champagne from the liquor store. <laughs> yes. That's a lesson of second chapters, though, because somebody's listening to this and they're like, I can't change my life. I got a job. It's good. I mean, I'd rather be doing something else, but it's stable. Right. And, about the, and the crazy part and how God works, because again, I didn't want to quit because of my not having insurance and me being constantly at the doctors all the time and in the hospital, whatever. And literally, I retired. I made sure I got all my doctor's appointments in before that insurance runs out. You That's know what, what you do. That's out. what you do. That's what you do. I was not sick the whole time after my insurance expired. Wow. I didn't have to go to the doctor. I didn't have to go to the hospital. I wasn't sick. I didn't get insurance until November of that year. In between this time, the movement had already started, right? Because you mm-hmm. had already started doing the workouts and stuff like that. So right. where are you with the movement turning into the business? Talk about those those steps. 
in between. Okay, so FBF was, it was always a business. And it, we always have done pretty well for ourselves. But it was the shapewear that kind of took us to the okay. next level. So we started 2012. We didn't start selling shapewear until maybe 2015, 2016. That was the time that I was losing cartilage in my knees because I was working out every day. Wherever yeah. there was a workout, I was there. And my doctor said to me, they said, if you want to walk when you're 50, you have to stop working out which now and I was like how can this be me yeah I run this whole fitness company I do workouts we do pop-ups like this is the whole part of my identity as the leader of FBF is working out and so of course since I couldn't work out anymore a lot of people would have hit off of social media as I started to pick up weight and gain weight back but I still continue to show people that I'm still eating healthy trying I'm not gonna let this stop me from my mission and overall is help right so I might not be able to work out like I was but I can still walk I can still swim so I started swimming at the time I started walking like I was really trying to figure out any way to just keep myself active however like I'm one of them people who has to like work out consistently Mm -hmm. to maintain my weight so I started to gain weight maybe like 30 40 pounds so it was a significant amount of weight and I remember going I was in Miami and I had bought a shaper I put the shaper on snapchat 800 people had screenshot it and I was like well okay I'm like if all of these people are screenshotting this shaper they should be getting it from me so I literally contacted Miracle Suit who is the manufacturer of our shapewear and I contacted them on Monday. And I'm like, look, I have this brand. We have this audience already. Here's our website. I would really love to partner with you guys and work with you guys. And they were like, okay. Can I stop you real quick? How did you Mm -hmm. build your audience to that point? Social media, Instagram. So, you know, I've been on Instagram. I'm on a social media break right now, but I just said, I've literally been on Instagram every day for the last 10 years. I don't think there's been a time where I have taken a break. That's a commitment. Right. I no longer handle my social media now, but that's literally how I grew my audience. We started with the weight loss challenge. It worked. People started posting their results. We had our own little group me chats. We would do meetups. We would do workouts. And so I really kind of became the, the leader and the cheerleader that many women didn't know that they needed. But that's really what I do. I'm like a champion of loving yourself and showing them how to do that. Every day. But Zaki, you also dived into the industry. Can you also tell people like you were, I remember you were doing conventions. You were making sure you knew what yes. was, who was in the industry. Like talk mm-hmm. about that too, because you made sure you were aware. So for me, you know, I come from the old school of really putting your boots on the ground I used to host parties and stuff back in the day. So it was really like, we going out, we passing flyers. We, You know, you, you're in the mix. So for me, it was like, I wanted to be where people who could impact my business were at. I would go to conventions with Jillian Michaels and I would go to like the BET Awards. I, I would go to these places by myself with an FBF t-shirt on, yes. FBF cards in my hands. And I would just make sure that I talked to everybody that I could those connections that I made early on have impacted my business. I went out to the That's hustle. Awards. Thank you. It takes a lot of gumption yeah. to do and that. It, and celebrities are wearing oh. your stuff too as well. So went out to the BET Awards maybe seven or eight years ago by myself. I ended up going to a brunch. One of the members of the FBF Challenge. She was a publicist. Mm-hmm. So she got me on the list of everything. 
At one of the events, I was sitting next to Nina Parker. And at the time, Nina was also on a weight loss journey. And we started talking. Nina Parker, people from E! Entertainment Television. She used to be on TMZ. She has a new show coming up on Netflix. She literally wore FBF on every red carpet that she went to. She had on our shapewear every time she was on set. And so it was just like one of those things where... You get in the room and you be intentional about the people that you're talking to in that room because my business has been changed by people that I met either on Instagram or at an event somewhere. And I'm like, use these apps for what they're worth. I'm coming on here and I'm making sure I'm following the editor to such and such magazine if I want to be in that magazine sometime, Mm -hmm. you know, or I'm figuring out who is in charge of sponsorships for Versus because I want an artist to wear FBS. Like I am very intentional about making connections and not that I'm doing it in an opportunistic way, but I'm intentional about the people that I want to be associated with. You were telling us the story of shapewear. shapewear. That's how. That's how. So I called the manufacturer and they looked at my social media. They saw I had the presence because this was before influencing was a thing. Right. Right. So if I'm showing you like, hey, 800 people just screenshot this. They want to buy it. They want to get it from me. They're like, oh, she has the audience. She can go ahead and do this. And so I did. And so what happened is I got the shapewear. We were selling it. It was moving. We were still selling apparel at the time. And then one night I was in Atlanta, I was going out. I said, let me show people how this actually works. And now everybody does get ready with me videos. I've been doing them for seven years. Yes, you So have. literally <laughs> that's when getting dressed with Zao was born. So I would get dressed on camera and show people how to wear the shapewear, what different type of outfits they could wear it with, what it looked like before, what it looked like after. And then that's when it was like, it was just money after that. <laughs> yes. That's a multi-million that dollar business. Put in a lot of work for that. A multi-million dollar a business. A lot of work. People don't do this much work in 10 lifetimes. No, they don't. We just celebrate our 10 year anniversary and I'm taking this month off because I'm like, I've literally been working for 10 years straight. Yes, there has, has not been there has not been a time in 10 years that I haven't been without my laptop for more than 24 hours. How large is your team? My son is my warehouse manager. My stepson does order fulfillment. My daughter works after school. I handle all marketing, website design. You're Um, unbelievable. Isn't she? That's such, I mean, you have so many aspects that are a beautiful story with what you've accomplished. But the fact that this is also a family run, family owned business, that is so special. And, and you, the, I mean, like you, pandemic, this is you, literally ground up. It was no, all we started, you. We started with $75. Well, actually, we started my business with $0 because we started the FBF challenge with my intellectual property. I created a program. Listen. And I went on Instagram. We started our challenge August 12, 2012. We started with eight members. By the time we did our last challenge, which is maybe like five years later, we had over 2,000 members all across the world. And then... In November, because our members, they wanted something to wear to the gym. And so that's when we started with shirts. And I literally made the samples for those shirts with $75. I took little pictures of them, put it on a little grid on Instagram. And I if posted- y'all don't go after these dreams, if we don't all go after these dreams. <laughs> this I, is I an amazing it. story. I launched it Black Friday from my grandparents' kitchen. What? And we sold out. We've consistently sold out year after year. Like our our thing now is buy before you cry. (laughs) (laughs) I am literally looking at FBF's IG and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, Coco from SWV is now a little brand ambassador. Girl, you 
has to do this. And the crazy part is when they did verses, she changed out of her outfit because she was uncomfortable and she put FBF on. But that's another story about social media. Like yeah. I, I have been an SWV fan my entire life since I was 13. I mean, who is it? Exactly. So imagine my 13 year old self. Again, we're 30 years out now singing SWV at my school talent show. They were here in Philly, maybe. Two Give me a little bit. Give me a little bit. Oh, no, no. no. Oh, <laughs> a little weak, a little weak. <laughs> oh, don't, don't embarrass me right now. <laughs> Can we also just comment real quick? Zaki, who is this woman? And it looks like that your challenge as far as losing weight. And you look amazing. This, this is the 43-year-old version of me. So that's the, the other Ain't thing. it good? Ain't it good. When, yeah. when I talk about advocating for your health. So yeah. I had picked up weight. I was speaking at Essence and I couldn't sit on the chair properly. And I was like, something's got to get. But I had been going to my doctors, explaining to them my frustration about not being able to lose weight. Because again, if I don't know how to do anything else, baby, I know how to lose some weight. Okay. <laughs> I teach people how to do it. I built a business around it. So mm-hmm. I know how to lose weight, but the weight was not coming off. And I knew something else was wrong. because I was on meal plans, working out with my trainer five days a week. Like I was doing everything right. And the weight just wasn't coming off. Went to my doctor ignored me. Oh, maybe you need weight loss surgery. I'm like, no. So I ended up finding a doctor out in Beverly Hills. My first visit to her, hormone testing, everything that I needed to have done. Come to find out I had endometriosis. I had polyps on my uterus. I also was insulin resistant. She gave me a game plan. Got my hormone levels leveled out. That was September of last year. I probably lost 50 pounds since then. So yeah, this is the 43-year-old version of me. Mm, I she love is her. fabulous, she right? Flies. I need to talk about the actual clothing, the fabric. Because what I see, like, yo, you know, normally if you have like a pair of yoga pants or something and it, it loses the strength. Yeah, or you see your, your thong or your, your, your butt crack or whatever else. Can we talk about yeah, how if you... I see your ass in black stuff, that means it's not good quality, right? It's not. Yeah, it's a problem. Okay, okay. okay. You're not seeing my stuff. I'm just saying when I see other people's stuff. I was technically asking Zakia, but your answer's good too, Rachel. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so, as someone who again, has worked out for years and years and years. I knew what the market was missing when it came to workout clothes. And so when I created my own, I wanted to solve every problem, especially as a plus size woman working out. Nine times out of 10, the leggings you get, they're going to roll down. They're going to be see-through. They're going to get the little linty balls on them. All the linty balls. Um, All the linty balls. They're going to do all the things. And so when I created our clothes, I wanted to make sure I test them out. So every sample we get, I run it through a couple workouts. I run it through the washing machines. I try it out on other people. So it doesn't roll. It's not see-through. Even my customers, they'll ask me for like, designs. And I'm like, no, I tried it on. It was see-through. We're not making that. And every like, please, please, please. And I'm like, no, I'm not making it. If it's see-through, I'm not making it. So if I get a sample and if it's a color that I love or whatever, but they can't make it where it's not see-through, it's getting scratched. If it comes back and needs a couple inches taken off, I'm like, okay, it's not enough space in the bus. Cause I'm also thinking out for girls who got a, you know, a little extra up here. Thank you. Um, And also it has amazing compression. So it's like shapewear, but not. Also in the creation process, I bring my customers along with me. So like we'll do a live and I'll unbox samples and I'll ask them what is their idea. They feel like they've created something as well. They're a part of the process. Absolutely. I want to ask the the final question. What does love and grit mean to you? Woo. Go for your dreams by any means possible. I heard someone say recently, it's expensive to dream. 
And whether that is wanting to start a business or just pursue the career that you want, it's like you got to find a way to make that happen. My mom has always told me everything you ever said you were going to do, you have absolutely done. So for me, it's like I have to love it and more importantly, love myself to show up as my best self. Because when you show up for yourself as the best version of you, you don't let yourself down. And that's where that grit comes into play at, right? Because it's going to be hard. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been working since I was 14. I literally worked seven days a week for 11 years straight. (sighs) This was before FBF was even started. Mm. Just because I didn't want to be a statistic. I didn't want people to say, oh, she had her baby. You know, I got a full academic scholarship to Penn State when I was in 11th grade. I got pregnant with my son when I was 18 and had to give up my scholarship. So I didn't want people to say, oh, look what her life became. So for me, the grit was proving everybody wrong, but also proving to myself that I am not what people think of me. Mm. So I had my son, ended up going to Temple, paying my own tuition, working the whole time I was there with a child, parenting by myself. So if that ain't grit, I don't know what grit is. I think FB and Fat is the best business name I've heard. And what a story. She is freaking amazing. And to have started this so early, whether it was the beginning of Instagram to just having this idea, going after it, even though you were facing so many challenges. And I love that it's family owned. It is love and grit. Hey, both of those stories, pure love and grit. I mean, come on, they found out they were cousins after they already bonded in food. Like what? Are you serious? Laya was crying and sniffling. Needed it's a, a snot be- rag and whatnot. It's that beautiful. You want, see, you making fun, but wait till the movie come out and then you're going to be like, you know what, Laia, you was right. You right, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm you can sorry. follow along with all of our antics <laughs> and all the good things going on in Philly at Love Grit Philly on all the socials. And we'll see you there until we talk to you next time. <laughs>